Welcome everyone back to the Vats Football Podcast, the footballing podcast that has swept the nation off its feet. Huge support from you guys. Thanks a lot. Um, I'm here with the usuals, Ethan, Paddy and myself. Uh, we'll be reflecting over the Euro friendlies that happened over the past week. Um, we'll be discussing a few of the, the, the manager moves, especially the Conte and Ancelotti drama, I guess. And also a brief overview of the transfer market. Intro music coming in. All right, that's that's class from you, H. Now, as we as we move through the podcast, we're going to have a look at some of the Q and A questions we got uh, from our Instagram account at that's football underscore podcast. Quick little plug. Um, so a few of them uh, could say were a bit bit odd that we got uh, a tribute to to Ben himself and also my brother. But we did get a, a realistic question from. Uh, a man by the name of Paul Cancerpass, uh, big up Paul, and he's asked, "Who we think is better, Mason Mount or Phil Foden?" Ben, I'm going to put this on you first as an English man. What do you reckon? Well, first of all, it's kind of difficult because they they both have different qualities. They're actually quite different players, even though they try to they they try to get compared. Um, Mason Mount obviously loves that cam position. His best position is that cam position. And actually, I'd say both Foden and Mount have best best position is that centre attacking midfield. Mason Mount also has that ability to play centre mid, um, and in fact, Foden can play in the wing. Um, it's really hard to not say Mount at the moment because of the Champions League final. But I'm going to try that erase that from my memory because, like before before the Champions League final, I was Foden all the way. Um, but I feel like purely just because of the Champions League result, it's always. Everyone's tending to lean towards Mason Mount, which I think is a bit unfair on Foden. I feel like one Champions League game, although it is a final, it's a very important game. He did play really well. Can't differentiate between the two players. So, like, I think a lot of people would also say Mount. But in my opinion, over this season and the season before that, I think it'd have to be Foden. Yeah, I have a similar sort of view on it. Mason Mount, two years older than Foden, which doesn't seem like a lot. But in football years, you only really have... uh, 10, 15 years at your prime. So this two-year difference is, is massive, Foden being 20. Uh, the games that they've played um, this season, Mount's had a couple more, but nothing significant. But in terms of goal-scoring ability, I'd take Phil Foden any day. He's managed to bag, I think it's it's nine in, in all competitions. Uh, Mason Mount with, with four. Now, obviously, these players... Um, Foden more so um, is has been in as a replacement in the years years prior to this season, but Mason Mount has obviously secured his spot in the team. Um, but I, I do think that Foden's going to be a starter, not only in the uh, Manchester City um, team, but also for the Euros team. So for that reason, um, I'm going to say Phil Foden. Yeah, I just want to quickly discuss. Um, Foden has... Um, kind of dethroned Sterling as that starting left winger for um for Manchester City. Even though he hasn't actually started as many games as Mount, Mount's been actually probably more essential to Chelsea than Foden has been to um Man City. And it's, I think this is just purely um is the difference in quality between the Man City side and the Chelsea side. Despite the Champions League result, Man City has been far better this season than Chelsea. Um, so. Phil Foden leaving that that Manchester City squad doesn't have as much of an impact as if Mason Mount was to leave that Chelsea squad. Personally, Mason Mount's been 
Chelsea's best player this year. A lot of Chelsea fans agree with that. Uh, Phil Foden hasn't been Man City's best player this year. Um, yeah, I think Mason, Mason Mount beats Foden out on the passing. Uh, but Foden is, is I think he's, he's, he's going to be huge. People are starting to compare him to Haaland and Mbappe. I think that's a step too far. But he has been absolutely sensational. Um, Foden's dribbling ability, his, away to win, his, his ability to win fouls. Um, yeah, it's, he's, and also he's, he's for a, a winger slash, he's, he's really a center attacking midfielder. His goal sense is ridiculous. Like he, he's always in the box. He's kind of got that striker's instinct, um, which is incredible for someone at that age to, to develop that, um, at that age, to develop a, a sense in the box, just to pounce on, pounce on, um, pounce on chances like he does. It's incredible. It normally takes a few years for even strikers to get that sort of game set. Yeah, and I also think that's why it's kind of hard to compare them because Mason Mount, although he does play attacking, he's more of a, you know, kind of a bit central, but also a bit attacking. But Foden has seen that he's more, really more of an attacking player and also has dabbled in the wing a bit. And his forward presence has just been a lot better compared to Mason Mount. So although sometimes people can say it's a bit uncomparable, I do think Foden is generally the better player. All right, so that's been a, a great question from Paul. Make sure to get involved with the socials so your questions can be answered by that's football. Sorry, Paul, for the opinions. I know you wanted us to say Mount. I think we all said Foden. I'm sorry about that. I'm sure, I'm sure Paul won't be too worried. Uh, he's got a Champions League title under his belt that he will, he will ride for the foreseeable future. So I think one of the talking points for this week is the practice matches and these practice matches for um, the Euros competition, which is coming up in less than a week, are actually very crucial to teams in their understanding of how they're going to line up. Um, and it's much more significant than, say, some practice games before a Premier League season because it is such a, a small competition, a slight miss-up, will knock a team out. So these games are very significant in how these teams are going to go. Ben, tell us about Italy. Oh, yeah, Italy have been it was absolutely fantastic against um, Czech Republic. They pretty much shut them down. They, didn't, they shut them down to no shots on target. The fact they beat... Czech Republic 4-0, yet still kind of maintain that defensive, that defensive strength. It's, it's superb. It, it, it's, it really scares me about um, this Italy side and how much of a threat they could become. Um, they've kind of been disregarded in the sense that um, they've kind of been disregarded. They've kind of been forgotten. Everyone's been talking about, you know, the Frances, the Portugals, the Netherlands, the England as well. Like we have, I think it's, I think Italy are a real threat. As, as I said, again, they had 17 shots in total, um, a 53% shot um, accuracy with eight on target. Uh, actually, five on target, um, eight from inside the box. Yeah, it's, it's really scary, especially when they were able to shut down the players as good as Suchek. And a real standout player for me, at least, was um, Lorenzo Insigne. Um, he's had a superb season for Napoli, and um, it seems to be on brilliant form going into the Euros. Certainly looking at him for my um, fancy Premier League team. Yeah, and it's the, it's the same for me with um, Chiro Mobile. Uh, amazing striker, one of the world's uh, best, I'd say. Um, obviously, the stage he's performing on in Serie A is not going to be as big as the Euros, but I do think because Italy have these up-and-coming players, they're going to find their way in the tournament. They're going to be able to cross a lot of the ball um, to him, and it's going to be interesting to see how far they can progress. I know a lot of people have said, 
potentially quarterfinals and even semifinals um, for this Italy side, which 10, 15 years ago you would have said was a top side of the world, but now obviously they've come down a bit. But we're hoping that this this new generation of Italian footballers uh, can surprise the world. Yeah, they're definitely going to be a big threat in these Euros. But um, also another friendlies game that was a bit of a whitewash was France and Wales, which was 3-0. You know, um, Griezmann, Mbappe and Dembele all scoring goals. Look, they just look like they were having fun out there. And they should. France, who, you know, 2018 World Cup, they'd been dominant over the last couple of years. Um, I feel like it's expected they win 3-0 against Wales. I just want to get into the stats of that game. Uh, France dominated Wales over 75% possession, which for Wales, um, as where they want to be putting themselves up there with the best in, in the future, I guess they've got some beautiful players coming through with... Um, Williams, they've got Dan James, they've got um, Joe Roden. So they really want to be performing a lot better in these sort of games. Obviously, it is France, it's a huge step up. But if they want their future to be what they want it to be, um, whether that be trying to get themselves into quarterfinals, semifinals, even at, at that, they've really got to step up. They can't allow France to have 70, 23 shots. It's, it was an appalling performance. Um, but looking at another performance in, um, in the UK, uh, which is Scotland versus Netherlands, and this is kind of where Wales need to have a look at and say, all right, well, this is, this is where we want to be at. We want to be challenging these, these top sides. Um, we see Scotland, although they didn't have as much as the ball, they, um, they managed to pull off a 2-2 draw against Netherlands. Uh, Netherlands looking... A, lick, a bit lackluster, apart from a few standout performers, uh, Frankie de Jong and also Memphis Depay with who bags a brace, um, who looked sharp, I'm not going to lie. Memphis Depay looked incredible. Uh, just a bit of a shame that the Netherlands defence kind of let down, kind of let Scotland have a shot, maybe had a, have a shot from outside the box and yeah, just weren't quite on the ball as they should be, that Netherlands defence. Maybe this is an issue without Van Dijk. Um, maybe it just shows how much they're missing him. Another pre-tournament friendly was England versus... Who did they even play against? Austria, mate. Do your research. I did. I just forgot the name. Nah, mate. We're keeping that in. Keep it going. Oh, what? Okay, fine. Saka brought up the one goal for England, but looking through those highlights, that first half, England had so many chances to tuck away a 2 or 3-0 lead going to the first half, but... That it was just unlucky on that. And then in the second half, Austria fought back a bit. They they definitely got more of the ball and they had a bit more chances. But in the end, England were just too good and they were just, they got over the top of them. But um, something that has heavily affected the England squad was the Trent injury. And he's expected to be out for six weeks, which is deadly. Although we do have four right backs. So Southgate maybe was, you know, thinking ahead. Um, it's, a, it's a big out for England, and especially for me because I, I did have him in my ex, um, expected squad for England and the fact that he's out for six weeks now, that's not too good. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge loss, but it also gives Southgate the opportunity to kind of... He's had a lot of backlash for this fallback. Uh, I mean, he's actually... Obviously, Trent's probably the one person you wouldn't want to get injured out of those right-backs or, or arguably Walker, but this has allowed him to kind of take a step back and say, okay, reflect on his decision. Um, he's kind of lucky that, uh, he's lucky in the sense that he, this kind of decision will get forgotten. 
other big news. The managers, Conte and Ancelotti, have been in the news all over, all over the news. And um, Ancelotti has snaked Everton and snatched that Real Madrid job after Zidane has left Real Madrid. Uh, what, I can want to hear your thoughts on that, boys. Ancelotti has done so much for that club. Uh, from this, what it looked like at the start of this season, they were going to be giants. They were going to be up there, top four. Little did we know that there would be a downfall uh, in that in that dressing room. I think it's unfortunate uh, they didn't necessarily play too bad, Everton. But obviously, Ancelotti thought his time was up. He couldn't save save them like uh, everyone thought that he did at the start of the season. I think um, I wouldn't necessarily uh, say that he's snaked. Everton, I think that's a bit that's a bit rough, but obviously, um, got to understand that going to Real Madrid as a manager is is massive. Um, so I respect the decision. Hope he can fix them up as well because that La Liga has been looking uh, very shaky of recent. So it'll be interesting to see what the future holds for managers and players. As you're saying, Paddy, very disappointing season for the Toffees. Um, looking very promising at the beginning, with um, obviously Ancelotti coming in, one of the best managers in the world, or one of. Um, uh, and then the, the three signings that stood out, Decore, Allen, and James Rodriguez, seemed to be one of the favourites of the title at the start of the season. Obviously, that's just hype. I don't think they were ever really considered one of the, the favourites. Um, and obviously, Dominic Cavett-Lewin firing. The reason why I think it's a bit of a snaky move is because he was, he, he kind of, Ancelotti invested into this rebuild with Everton. And then after one average season, um, he's kind of just left and left and left them to, left them to, um, yeah, kind of just suffer, I guess. Uh, didn't do particularly well, but that's what happens in rebuilds. I mean, we saw Pochettino come in back in 2014, had a very average start, and then just revived it. And he just, You've got to back the manager. Hey, Tottenham need more than a rebuild. Uh, and we're hoping that they can get this, um, at least some people are, uh, through Conte. Now, there's been a lot of discussions, um, even in the last minutes of we, as we've been um, taking a look at some of the news. Um, there's been stuff saying that he's potentially not going to Tottenham now, that it's not arranged, but we think it's just on a standstill. Um, it's all going to depend on Daniel Levy and... We're gonna to have to look at some of the things that could happen if he does, uh, if he does in fact go to Tottenham. Yeah. So Conte, as um, as when he was manager of Chelsea, and um, has always been kind of like Mourinho has those like this kind of said those sneery comments about Tottenham. We saw that it was something like uh, at Chelsea, winning is an expectation. At Spurs, it's a hope. It's not wrong. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so so. Yeah, so he's he's had the the same with Mourinho at Chelsea. They've yeah they've had that sort of rivalry, I guess. Um, but he seemed to be throwing at the window, and he seems to be kind of attracted to this Tottenham job. However, he's not quite attracted in the sense that they don't think he's not really. I he wants to go to Tottenham and compete straight away, um, and he also wants to bring in four managerial staff, which Daniel Levy isn't too happy with because that increases the staff bill up around. 3 million euros. Um, however, Tottenham have made movements and trying to, in hope, to attract Conte as well or attract other managers such as um, Ajax's manager and Pochettino. Um, they've signed, they've just, oh, they are very close to signing for um, Fabio Pratici, 
um, as the new director. Uh, so this should, and he, he said to be involved with the new managerial decision. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting. I think Conte's got two options here. He either goes to Man United if um, Ole is not going to sign a new contract or he finds a managerial job at Tottenham or he just sits still and waits for another option to arise. Yeah, look, if I was Conte, um, I'd probably go to Tottenham. As much as they aren't, they're kind of in the bin right now. Not in the bin, but they're basically going in the bin. Um, I feel like he can be their kind of saviour. Mate, Tottenham are the ocean, the way that we're just throwing all the plastic into them uh, at the moment. We should have a look at some of the things that uh, Tottenham need. Um, they need a new team, let's be honest, uh, with, with Kane going out. But with some of the, the transfers that have been happening uh, player-wise, um, we're going to see teams uh, change up and spend millions and millions of pounds. Now, boys, let's have a talk about, uh, back to the England squad, of course, as we always do. Let's have a talk um, on Sancho. Now, obviously, Tottenham aren't going to sign Sancho. Uh, they wouldn't know anything about young English talent. But we're looking at uh, Man United uh, in terms of Sancho. I think, I think you're forgetting Jaffet Tanganga there, uh, mate. Uh, young, old uh, Dane Scarlett. Um, anyways, yes. The Man United have um, seemed to be progressing their talks with Jaden Sancho. We saw this sort of arise uh, late on in the transfer window. Actually, it was throughout the whole transfer window uh, last season. They, but Man United seemed to be very willingly, didn't want to pay the extra money to snatch him up. Uh, so... It's been put on handhold, um, stand, how oh, handhold? It's been put on um, stand, stall, oh god. Anyways, hold, it's, on hold. But it's been put on hold. It's, it's been, that's the word I'm looking for. It's been put on hold, and um, yeah, we will be looking. They've been kind of, they've definitely progressed, and they seem to. This seems to almost as be as a reaction to their. Obviously, they did finish second this season, but it was a fairly poor Premier League season overall and obviously didn't win the Europa League which they should have won so I feel like this is kind of a reaction to a kind of reaction to their to try get them slightly closer to Manchester City uh, signing that Sancho and obviously extended Cavani um, extending Cavani's contract uh, what do you boys think about the transfer fee of 100 million look I don't think 100 million is going to fix David De Gea's penalties in order to win a Europa League uh, but I think it is it is valid uh, for a player like Sancho of such talent, um, young age as well, which is one of the biggest things in football at the moment, trying to capture that young talent before it rots and gets old. Um, I think it's fair, Ethan. Yeah, I, I also do think it's fair. Look, although Manchester United's goal should be to pick up a strong either defensive midfielder or defender just to solidify that back, um, I feel they do need Sancho on that right side. although. Daniel James, I think, is the GOAT, obviously. Um, I don't think he'll be able to bring success from Manchester United at the moment. So I think Sancho getting added into that squad will definitely help him out a lot. Yeah, he's had a very disappointing season, Daniel James. Uh, he Ever since the start of actually last season, really, uh, I mean, like the, the, 20, um, the 2019-2020 season, he looked on fire, scored in his first game for Man United. And then just kind of slowly faded away. Um, I think what's best for him, as we we clearly know he's got talent. I think he just lacks that composure in front of goal. 
I think he should go on loan to a club, whether that be a slightly bottom table Premier League club or or whether he goes or whether he goes back down to the championship just to get a bit more game time, get more experience. But for me, I don't think he's ready for Man United, especially for the 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 levels they want to consider themselves as. Um and again, back on that right, like where Man United really need to upgrade. Uh as Ethan said, centre back uh, CDM, that centre midfield role, and right wing. And honestly, they've been playing a striker right wing for the most of the season. Uh, Greenwood is not, Greenwood is not a right winger. As much as he tries to play there, unfortunately, as he is one of the most natural finishers in the Premier League, probably behind Harry Kane, as just natural instinct to score goals. He needs to be up there playing striker. Um, and obviously, Cavani with that extension allows Greenwood some time to develop. He's only, what's he? Is he 19, 18 years old? He's got time. And I actually do think what Man United have done is very, very clever. Uh, and with Cavani uh, securing that sort of, like Cavani's guaranteed goals. I don't see him running out of steam this season. Um, and then it just allows Greenwood to develop behind him, watch an experienced striker develop. And to be honest, they don't, they don't need to sign Harry Kane, but they need Jane Sancho. They need, or whether it be Jane Sancho or whether it be a right winger, um, it could be anyone. Uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting. I think Man United are so far on the right track. Just need to get those other positions at the CDM and the the centre back, and then I can definitely see them pushing Manchester City to the end uh, next season. But as we speak of Green uh, Wood, let's talk about Lukaku, a man who is apparently worth 100 mil after a few breakout seasons at Inter Milan. Yeah, well, he's had a, he's had, um, yeah, a few great seasons, uh, obviously, recently at uh, Man United. Uh, I thought he was, it was wrong of Man United to, um, to sell Lukaku, personally, um, especially with the struggles they've had in the past two seasons without him. Uh, obviously, Cavani's come in late, like this late season. He's only, been, he's only really been influential in the past, uh, past three or four months. So... Big mistake from Man United. And then Chelsea have got an opportunity to sweep him up again. Um, sweep up another youth talent that they let go. Um, such as, you know, you've got Mo Salah and Kevin De Bruyne that they let go. And, um, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. I think Lukaku uh, really makes Chelsea t- challenges as well. It's going to be such an excited Premier League. Lukaku is arguably one of being the best strikers in the world this season. I think he's probably top four. You've got Lewandowski, you've got Kane, you've got Benzema, and you've got Lukaku. That's personally my top four strikers. Um, so I can't, I can't see an issue with the ambitions of Chelsea to try sign them, especially with um, oh, the talking point we haven't really mentioned, that um, Tuchel has been awarded, or rewarded, um, for his um, Champions League feat um, with a two-year contract extension. Uh, so Tuchel is a... Tuchel, obviously, has been proven as a great defensive manager, uh, and they just need to um, improve that attack. And Lukaku is the perfect option, I think. Um, I, don't, I don't know what you think about that, Ethan. Yeah, look, I think it was obviously the right choice to re-sign him because he's just got so much confidence in the boys. He knows what's going on. He's, you know, a part of the group. And I think his call to bring over Lukaku would be good, although he has shown that he has confidence that Werner will improve. I feel like him to improve, Lukaku needs to come in and challenge him, you know, get him to, you know, 
have a sense that he needs to have that role and then that role could be stripped away from him. Kind of like what happened to Luke Shaw when Tellez came came in. Luke Shaw stepped up his game like by so much just because he knew that there was that competition there. You know, everyone had to step up. Yeah, it's a good point, Ethan. Uh, talking about players bringing in and really improving um, other players' performances. However, I don't think Werner is necessarily k- kicked out of his squad if Lukaku comes. He's shown to be pro- like proven at getting into really good positions on that left wing. And also, we saw in the Champions League final, if it wasn't for Ethan, um, <laughs> if, it wasn't for yeah. Ethan if it wasn't for Werner, if it wasn't for Werner, he would um, Havertz would have been let into um, scoring that goal. He did that distracting run to drag out. Um, I think it was John Stones, um, and to allow Havertz to um, make a, a marauding run down the middle. Uh, so I don't necessarily think Werner's completely, completely written off as a project. Um, as you said, I think Tuchel still backs him. But I do think Werner also has a place in the squad if Lukaku does come. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how these big transfers play out. Let us know in the Instagram who you would like uh, to see moved uh, and where. Um, also mention some transfers that are that are rumours and let us know if you want us to discuss them. Now, let's have a look at some of the transfers that have already happened. I think a big talking point is Upamecano, the man who wasn't selected to be put into the France Euros squad, has actually been bought by Bayern for £42 million. Boys, what do we think of this one? I think that is shocking. Um, well, look... I'm not sure on the price, you know, we can debate about that, but the fact that Bayern is just picking up any player they want in, in the Bundesliga, basically just stripping away any chance any other team has to even come close to them. I just feel like it's like, what's the point? When they, when they keep getting these players like this, it's just like, what's going on? Oh, it's a bit of a monopoly at this point now. Uh, I'm not saying that Bayern haven't deserved their success at all, but it's just, it's kind of getting ridiculous. I, th- I do think Germ- Germany run football the way it should be run it's just everything below the first position is perfect but it's kind of yeah it's kind of like buy-in standouts everything below it is perfect as it is competitive but it's just buying kind of it kind of like obviously everyone rates the Bundesliga but I've heard people say it's a farmer's league purely because of buy-in but I think it's a bit unfair um yeah I we don't want to dwell on that for too long uh another interesting transfer Aguero Guerrero to Barcelona. Uh, very, very interesting. Interesting move for Barcelona. I think it's fairly risk-free, as, um, as it was a free transfer. Um, however, wages do come into the costs. Uh, but Aguero being fairly, like, not very influential in the Manchester City um, for the past two seasons, as he's been heavily injured, well, heavily affected by injuries. Um, yeah, Nunes, do you reckon it's a good move for um, Barcelona as they've recently been fairly poor and, and ha- have to really dig themselves out of this debt they have and also in a bit of their performances haven't been great either? Well, we've seen these little Liga teams build themselves into debt. They've dug themselves do- so deep, it's about a billion. Yeah, so they are in a lot of debt, those teams. And I think Barcelona, mm. I-, I don't know if this is a, is a good idea, this Aguero signing. It's going to cost so much a year on wages and they've got one of the best strikers in the world. I'm not talking about Leo Messi. I'm talking about Carlos Brathwaite. Now we're going to see this man feature in the Denmark team for the Euros. I honestly believe that this man can take them to the quarterfinals. So I don't think it's a 
good idea. I think Aguero is going to be battling for that first team position spot. It was half broken leg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's been, as I said, he's been very injured and it's, it seems maybe not. It, it's, I think it's risk-free because he's, it's, it's a free transfer, but I think apart from that, it's hard to see how this is a step forward for Barcelona. Oh, I think actually, well, there's the argument that the relationship between Messi and Aguero, um, which could reignite Aguero's career um, and maybe make Messi even play even better as um, they seem to be very good mates every time they go um, away with each other on um, international in- international ventures. So, yeah, I want to qu- pre- um, quickly mention uh, the comments that Aguero's father has made about Pep Guardiola. Um, how he supposedly faked his tears uh, on the final day when the um, the, you know, the Manchester City celebrations of the winning the Premier League title. Uh, Guardiola um, was interviewed about Aguero and how Aguero has openly said he was going to leave, and Pep Guardiola was crying. And um, you guys can talk about it for a second. I'm going to get the actual quote up, and we can discuss the the the, the interesting claims. So Pep Guardiola, despite the recent uh, the recent loss to Chelsea, has had a lot of success with this Manchester City team. However, we do know that there have been some difficulties um, with him and Aguero uh, on and off the pitch. So it is very interesting. Um, you don't usually see this in the football world. It's meant to be professional. This sort of information isn't meant to get out. And players are told that they can't leak it. But coming from the brother... Um, of Aguero. All right, so boys, I've got the quote here. Um, so Sergio Aguero's father, uh, Lionel El Castillo, has stated, I don't believe his tears. No, I don't. For me, he never wanted Aguero. Okay, so just a quick, 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 quick bit of background. Uh, I think Aguero said um, back in 2013, he, wouldn't, he wasn't going to leave Man City until they won a UCL, um, which is very interesting now because he, they were just in the final. And... Aguero wasn't put on the field until very, very late in the second half. Um, if you go look into the, the, the fans' reaction to this, they seem to be in total agreement. And Pep Guardiola has been really put on the spot here, um, especially for not playing him in the final. That he ultimately, like Aguero's done so, like ultimately, if, if it wasn't for Aguero, Man City probably wouldn't have progressed this far as a football club. He's been the best Man City player of all time. So it's. I feel fans, fans, and just general football fans are very frustrated currently with Pep Guardiola um, for not backing their best player of all time of their, and just not really rewarding of him. So Sergio Aguero has got every right to be upset. I think Sergio Aguero's father's got every right to be upset. I think Man City fans have got every right to be upset. As we move on, let's just go quickly to the players who are not confirmed as the transfers. How about Raheem Sterling to Arsenal? That's a... It's an amazing transfer that could potentially happen. Uh, we've seen Raheem, as we earlier discussed, uh, be the second choice to Foden. Now, everyone questions Raheem's start on that Champions League final game, and I believe his time at Manchester City may be up, but his time um, as, as a player is certainly not up, and Arsenal are going to be looking to upgrade that left-wing position, and I think he's a potential solution to that. 100%. I think if... Arsenal can pull off this transfer, it'd be amazing. Um, personally, I don't see it as a from Man City side. I think it's a bit too soon, as Raheem Sterling has had a very average season. I think it's a bit too soon to offload him. 
especially to a, a rival club, maybe not direct derby rivals, but a rivaling club or previously rivaling um, that sort of top four positions. Um, so it's it's a bit strange. Beautiful, a great, great. It would be a great pull off. Oh, it would be a great transfer for Arsenal. Raheem Sterling. From Raheem Sterling's point of view, I don't see the point of it. Kind of stick stick at Man City and try to push through that first team again. Um, especially he's going off to the Euros. He's got a chance to prove um, he's better than Foden. Uh, yeah, especially when Foden can be pushed back into that cam role once De Bruyne starts to, um, starts to age. Look, personally, I'd love to see it happen. We, we've got to move on. Um, last point, Fernandinho left without a contract. Um, obviously got subbed in in that Champions League final game, but he hasn't. He's not going to have a secured spot in that team, an ageing player. Um, that's a massive disappointment for him. Um, he'll, he'll definitely find a spot elsewhere. It's a matter of where uh, and when this transfer gets that gets made or the contract gets signed. It's going to be an interesting one, but we're going to leave it there. It's been a been a long episode for what was meant to be a short one, but that's all right. We always ramble here at That's Football, and we're hoping you guys like to hear that. Next episode, who wants to explain what's going to happen? It's going to be a massive one. So, as we know, the, the Euros is coming this Friday, uh, the 11th of June. Uh, we'll be having a kind of a Euro special episode. Where we'll, just, um, we'll talk about our predictions, dark horses, and there's also potential for um, some special guests that will come on. Uh, so look forward to that. They'll be coming out uh, sometime this week, uh, before the Euros, before match week one. Yeah, so make sure to stay tuned. Big episode coming up midweek. Uh, make sure to stay tuned on the socials as well. I'll be giving you uh, continuous updates about the podcast and ourselves. Uh, make sure just to, if you want to, join our, our, our Euro Fantasy League. Uh, the code is in all of our socials. You can probably see it in the Spotify bio as well. Uh, many thanks to you boys. And yeah. Cue the music. <laughs>